0: I met Erwin Entz for the first time on Friday uh, And he feels like a friend already We sat in the corner of the Oceanic Restaurant down at the Wrightsville Beach for three hours And I nearly closed down the place uh, It's fun just getting to know a brother who has a different life experience but knows the same Lord And so Irwin comes to us um, really from Wilmington which is interesting. His grandmother and mother lived here, and they were part of the great migration that happened over 70 years from 1915 to 1970, where six million blacks moved north, out of the south, trying to escape uh, really the oppression of the south. And his mother moved to New York when she was 15. She wanted to be a professional and knew that she couldn't be a professional in Wilmington. So, Wilmington lost a little diamond. But that little diamond met somebody from Trinidad, right? And uh, we have another little diamond here in Irwin. Grew up in Brooklyn, a big Giants and Yankees fan. So, if you're that, you can talk to him afterwards. Um, he met the Lord in Washington, D.C., uh, then got introduced to a guy named R.C. Sproul through the radio. Uh, which led him into uh, Reform Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., and then Covenant Theological Seminary for a a doctorate of ministry, and into uh, a predominantly white denomination called the Presbyterian Church of America, or the PCA. And as he said yesterday, last night at our forum here, there's 4,900 pastors in the PCA, 52 are African-American. So it's a lonely road, I'm sure it is. He was actually the very first black moderator of the entire PCA a couple of years ago. So it's really a great honor to have this man with us. To, it comes from, from, from us in some ways. He understands uh, Wilmington. He understands the PCA, and we're very ne- nearly like that. He understands uh, the black experience in America. He now runs the Institute for Cross-Cultural Missions, ICCM. And there's more information, as Sam said, uh, on the table as you leave, uh, if you'd like to know more about that. Let's stand together as we consider what God has to say in Isaiah chapter 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to silently consider the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, Christ Community Church. It's good to be with you this morning, this this weekend, to be back here in Wilmington, I shared with Paul for the first time since uh, 1993 when we came down uh, for my grandmother's funeral, Uh, it is indeed a joy um, to be here proclaiming God's word to you. I want to speak to you this morning uh, out of the text that was read into your hearing with this subject, Walk Together Children, Don't You Get Weary. Walk together, children. Don't you get weary. And I would invite you to bow your heads and pray with me as we begin this message. Father and our God, we bow before your throne of grace with grateful hearts, knowing that this, your word, is not dead, but it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit joints and marrow, judging, discerning the intentions of the heart. And our confession is this morning, Lord, that we are all in this place naked and exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account, and that's good news, because, Lord, you know precisely then what we stand in need of. So would you be pleased, Lord, this morning to take, take my weak and unworthy efforts in your word and use them? to bless your people, to meet us where we are and give us what we need. If it is faith, oh Lord, would you give us that gift? If we need to be encouraged, Lord, would you encourage us with the truth of your gospel? If we need to be corrected, Lord, in your mercy, would you correct us? That we would be people who live not for our glory, but for the glory and fame of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, James Weldon Johnson is most well-known as uh, the man who penned the song which came to be called the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And in 1925, he and his brother, J. Rosamond Johnson, they published a two-volume hymnal titled, The Book's of American Negro spirituals. And in his introduction, Johnson included an original poem titled, O Black and Unknown Bards. This poem was a tribute to uh, the unknown composers of the Negro spirituals. And the first stanza of that poem, he writes this, O black and unknown bards of long ago, how came your lips to touch the sacred fire? How in your darkness did you come to know the power and beauty of the minstrel's lyre? Who first from midst of his bonds lifted his eyes? Who first out of the still watch lone and long feeling the ancient faith of prophets rise within his dark kept soul burst into song? In the poem he asks the question, how? The question is not how could they sing uh, any song. It's no surprise that music and rhythm uh, and song were an integral part of the life of the black experience in America. There was surely a connection between their rhythms and those found on the African continent. And it's no surprise even that you would find non-Christians making good-sounding, toe-tapping, rhythmic music. The question was, how could they sing the spirituals? The music that Johnson is paying tribute to is redeemed music. How is it possible that out of such darkness sprung such beauty? For most African slaves in America, there was no triumph in this world. How then could there be any songs of victory? In his tribute, Johnson says that the singer's spirit Must have nightly floated free, though still about his hands he felt chains. How could they sing better than they knew? One of those songs that I believe arises out of scripture passages like the one we have heard in Isaiah this morning is the song, Walk Together Children, Don't You Get Weary. The lyrics of that spiritual go like this, walk together children, don't you get weary, Walk together, children. Don't you get weary. Oh, talk together, children. Don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. Sing together, children. Don't you get weary. Sing together, children. Don't you get weary. Sing together, children. Don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. Shout together, children. Don't you get weary. Shout together, children. Don't you get weary. Shout together, children. Don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. And then the song says, gonna sing, or rather, gonna mourn and never tire. We're gonna mourn and never tire. We're going to mourn and never tire. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. It is a community song. Although they did strive for freedom from bondage, the clarion call was that they were to walk together, sing together, shout together, and all the while not grow weary. Even though they had to mourn, they encouraged each other not to grow weary in their mourning. This is because they they looked to the hereafter and understood that there's a great camp meeting in the promised land. That song is a collective call to hope in the midst of suffering, joy in the midst of sorrow, and strength to endure through the struggle. And this is the same call that we find the Lord giving his people in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 27 to 31. I want to talk about these three things this morning from this passage. One, the complaint. The complaint, two, the confession, and three, the comfort. The complaint, the confession, and the comfort. Isaiah chapter 40 is a popular chapter in the Bible. Not just for Christians, but even for the New Testament writers and authors. The New Testament quotes uh, verse 3 in in reference to John the Baptist of this chapter where Isaiah 40 says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verses 6 and 8 of the chapter are quoted quoted by the apostle Peter in his first epistle, chapter 1 and verse 24 to 25, where Peter writes, for all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains to forever. And this word, he said, is the good news that was preached to you. The Apostle Paul references verse 13 in Romans chapter 11 and verse 34 when he writes, For who has known the mind of the Lord, and who has been his counselor? Indeed, this chapter is a turning point in the prophet's whole book. The theme of God's judgment is prevalent in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, and the turning point comes in verse 1 with the words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And the word of comfort is necessary because of the people's situation. Their rebellion and their unbelief has resulted in God's judgment, and they issue a complaint to God. Their complaint is this, that the Lord does not see them, nor does he care about them. We find out about their complaint through the Lord's response in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you speak this way, Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and from my God, my right or my justice is overlooked. This is a collective my. <laughs> It's the people of Israel as a a whole. Our way is hidden from the Lord. The way they are talking about is the course of their lives. Our hard and our difficult road is hidden from him. Not only that, they're saying, but our justice is being passed over. We are suffering and the Lord is paying no regard to it. There's a sense of despair and sadness in the complaint. We are troubled on every side. Uh, uh, We are troubled on every side. Our situation is dire. And Lord, you don't even seem to see it. You don't even seem to care that we're being unjustly treated. Listen, underlying the complaint, underlying this complaint is the reality and the confession that God is sovereign and powerful. They're crying out because he's their God, and they know that he has the power to affect change in the situation. He has the power to right the wrong, and if they didn't believe that he was able to do it, it would be a waste of time to cry out to him. What they're saying is this. Our complaint, Lord, is that you can do it, but you haven't. And this puts us in more despair. Do you realize uh, this morning that uh, complaining to God is actually a prominent occurrence in the Bible? Psalmist says in Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The psalmist says in Psalm 42 in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy?" The prophet Jeremiah complains in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7 Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you've prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Here is the regular complaint when you find it, or rather, the regular feature of the complaint when you find it in Scripture. We are suffering, or I am suffering in an unjust situation, and Lord, you just just don't seem to care. How are we going to survive? How am I going to survive in the middle of oppression and injustice if you're not for us? If you're not on our side, how are we going to make it? As one commentator put it, he says the first question is theological, touching on God's nature that he can't see. Whereas the second is experimental touching on the experience of the people, my prayers don't seem to be answered. Let me ask you this question. What do you do in the face of ongoing injustice and oppression? How do you respond to the never-ending reality of suffering and, and sorrow in this life, whether it is the racial injustice that still plagues this nation or the oppression experienced by the most vulnerable people in other parts of this world? Passages like this, they actually give us the freedom to bring our complaint before God. We instinctively know that God is good and God is just, so it's actually better to bring our complaint to him instead of becoming despondent about the suffering or ignoring it entirely. Because notice, notice this, that it's the Lord who's asking the questions. Why do you keep saying that I can't see what's going on? And why do you keep saying that I don't care? The message from the Lord is this, don't only use your personal experience as the basis for understanding what I see and what I know and how I act. His response to their complaint is to remind them of their confession. It comes to them in the form of, of two more questions in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard These are rhetorical questions. (laughs) The Lord is using some slang. He's saying, you already know. You already know what it is. In the middle of this situation, when you are full of complaint because of injustice, you need to remember what you already know about me, he's saying, and what you've already learned. You're not a people without a history. You know what I've done for Israel already. Remember the confession he's saying to them. The Lord is an everlasting God. The Lord is the God of eternity. He has no beginning and he has no ending. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Everything exists because he created it and because he is eternal, he's not like you. His way can be hidden from you, but your way cannot be hidden from him. Your situation is not and cannot be hidden from him because he created everything and everyone. There's nothing that he does not know or does not see. He is omni everything omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, omni just, and every other good thing. Not only that, but he never gets tired or weary. (laughs) The creation continues, the sun keeps on shining, the planets and the stars continue to follow the course that he has set for them. He's not like us, he doesn't need sleep, he doesn't get exhausted, he has no need to take a break because he's tired. He's not so tired from going to help Joe out that he got no time to come and see about you. This is not what a God is like. His understanding is unsearchable. There's no searching to his understanding. You cannot comprehend what he knows. There is no limit to the depth and the breadth and the width of what he understands. You and I cannot even scratch the surface. This is God. This is what he's like. Listen, if you have come... To God through the only way possible, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the reality of his sovereignty and his power is a cause for rejoicing in thanks and praise. Even in the face of injustice, we don't have to worry that we serve some impotent God. We don't have to worry that we serve some God who uh, has to go consult somebody else before he can affect change. Just like the people of Israel who received this text were a people with a history who knew what the Lord had done for them. Listen, Christians are a people with a history. Christians are a people with a personal history. History. To be a Christian means to be able to testify that God has brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Is to be able to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, but Christians are a people with a corporate history as well. We understand that the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ is the event that changed the course of the whole world. It was God's declaration to the world that he was not just committed to changing individual lives but to taking back the whole world for himself. And this means that Christians understand That justice delayed does not necessarily mean justice denied. You see, you and I need the eyes of faith to see that. Because what we see in the world and in our society and our communities gives us a different story. These are eyes that cause a community of people to sing. Walk together, children. Talk together, children. Sing together, children. Shout together, children. Don't you get weary. You see, they understood, understood the comfort, that last C that comes from grasping the last part of our text. In verse 29, the prophet says, the text says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. He gives strength to the weary and to the powerless. He increases power. This is a parallel verse. Uh, Both halves of the verse say the same thing. Uh, It's a progressive parallelism with an increase in intensity, uh, he, The Lord is making this thing happen, the sufferings, the issues, and the trials of this life. They help us to realize, one, that we're not in control, but that the Lord doesn't grow weary. He isn't lacking in any power. He has no need of rest, but he's merciful, and he's gracious, and he's willing to give strength to his weary children. Are you lacking in power this morning? you lacking in strength. He'll cause the might of his children to increase. A number of years ago, Gatorade had a commercial that they would play that showed athletes in need of power and endurance, pushing themselves to the limit. And as they sweated and perspired in the commercial, you noticed that the, what was coming from their pores was not sweat but Gatorade. Right. And the line in the commercial said the announcer asks the question, is it in you? <laughs> is it in you? Is it you need this Gatorade if you're gonna keep on pushing? Well, Gatorade is all right if you wanna shoot some hoops or if you wanna hit a baseball, right? But you need to ask this because he gives strength to the weary. You need to ask this, is he in you? Is he in you? Because he's the one who gives strength to the weary and power to the powerless. Notice something. It does not say that he gives strength to those who are already strong. It doesn't say that he gives power to those who are already powerful, but he gives it to those who are lacking in strength and in power, and that is the comfort. You see, you'll hear people say stuff like, God helps those who help themselves. That ain't in the Bible. That's not the testimony of Scripture. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. When we recognize our need and our powerlessness over the situation, God steps in. He steps in with comfort and peace. It is only those who feel and admit their weakness who can benefit from, receive, or make use of this giving. See, the issues of this life are going to be there until Jesus Christ returns to right every wrong. We live through the ups and the downs of life. Job put it this way in chapter 7 of his book, in the first verse, first verse through three verses, he says, Has not a man hard service on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand, like a slave who longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand who looks for his wages? So I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are appointed to me. And then he says in chapter 14, man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and he withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Job was well acquainted with pain and suffering and struggle. He knew Full, well and good that his strength was not adequate, but he was able, he was also rather well acquainted with the God who is able to give strength to those who are weary. He was well acquainted with the God who is able to give power to those who are weak. That's why, in the midst of his desperate condition, he could say in chapter 13, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation that the godless shall. Not come before him. Apostle Paul in the New Testament says to the Corinthians a similar message in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. When he says to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, he had received a thorn uh, in the flesh was given to him, a messenger of Satan. He says to harass him, to keep him from becoming conceited. And he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. But the Lord's response to the apostle Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, he says, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This continual need To realize that our own strength is inadequate to deal with the problems of this life is the testimony that runs throughout the Bible. Isaiah put it this way in verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. They'll become tired and faint Young men will surely stumble, even, he's saying, even the strongest and most choice in society grow weary and faint. Even those you would expect to be able to endure cannot escape from being worn out by this life. Youth and vigor are not enough. Nothing but the strength that God provides his children is enough to be able uh, to enable you to endure. And what does it take? Here it is. He says in verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In contrast to the youth, those who wait on the Lord, those who trust in his promises, those who lean on him for strength won't become tired. They won't faint. They are able to endure the difficult times with expectation that he will keep them in the midst of the suffering. He will keep them in the midst of the trials and the testing. The verb for for wait has the sense of of waiting with hope it's not just a dreary and a, a dreadful kind of just waiting around we could also say those who hope in the lord uh, shall renew their strength and the and the verb that's translated as renew here also has the sense of replacing and and exchanging and so the promise is those who hope in the lord keep on receiving new strength but it's not just reviving your old, inadequate, tired strength. It is an exchange. God is saying that he's going to throw away that old and useless strength that you have, and he will replace it with his strength. Remember from verse 28, he doesn't grow weary. He doesn't faint. He doesn't get tired. Do you need a strength exchange? God says he'll replace His. Your strength with his. It's the only thing that'll do. Anything else, listen, anything else is an imposter. Anyone else who promises you strength is lying. Your money is lying. Your house is lying. Your car is lying. Your possessions are lying. Your institutions of higher learning are lying. They cannot provide strength when you grow weary. Why aren't they able to? Because they're creations and creatures just like you and me. They will fail you. They will wear out. You want the strength to endure all the trials of life? Then you run to the foot of the cross. This one commentator says God graciously makes his vitality available to the failing of the earth. But does the receiving depend on any particular condition? only one, and it is specified here, waiting on the Lord. To wait on him is to admit that we have no other help, either in ourselves or in another. By the same token, to wait on him is to declare our confidence that he will eventually act on our behalf. And so waiting on the Lord is not merely killing time, but it is a life of confident expectation. They will stretch out their wings as the eagles. The eagle's ascension into the sky seems effortless. The eagle is able to soar high above the earth without threat or concern that it will fall to the earth far, far from being crushed to the earth by their own helplessness. Those who depend on God through Christ can stretch their wings in effortless ways of eagles and can sail off in the wind. You remember what the Lord Jesus says to us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, when he makes this invitation and he says, just come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For those who are in Jesus Christ, God has provided the avenue to his throne because the Christian is covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God will incline your, his ear to our prayers, even when it seems like he's silent. Understand that God hears you and that God answers you. The answer to our cries for for justice, for for righteousness to reign, however, may not come in the form or the manner that we expect. This is because our understanding is limited. But his understanding is unsearchable. So what do we do? We do this. Walk together, children. Don't you get weary. Sing together, children. Don't you get weary. Shout together, children. Talk together, children. Pray together, children. Mourn together, children. Don't you get weary. Well, there's a great camp meeting in the promised land. Let's pray. Father, we praise you because you are the everlasting God. The God of the beginning, the God of the end, the God of everything in between the one who does not faint, who does not tire, who does not grow weary, who gives strength to those who are without strength, who increases might to those who are powerless. Father, would you bless us to have this kind of confidence as your people, to endure through the challenges and trials of this life, the things that make us cry and mourn, knowing that you indeed are the one who gives us power to endure by faith through Jesus Christ our King. Amen.